0: either one of these any good wow this is a good movie it's pretty good well the director from yesterday doesn't think so it stinks you sorry (laughs) you waste all our film
1: it's so bad
0: well happy new year it's finally here how long have we been waiting for the end of this year 10 years (laughs) that's what it seemed like anyway uh but we're gonna focus on some good points, some bright spots in 2020 as we count down our favorite movies of the year. Glad you're here to do it with us. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from madwolf.com. Santa's got his list and we've got ours. <laughs> he only checks it twice. How many times have we checked our list?
1: Well, a lot of times. There, lot was of lot t- of <laughs> there was a lot of resorting. There was a lot of tiebreakers. There was a lot of checking. I think that was it. The hardest thing was
0: was sorting them. We had the group of, of movies. There's maybe a one or two here or there that we would like to put on that didn't quite make it, but then we had to number them and, yeah. and sort them out, and that's what that's what gets tougher. But we've got and we've got a great group. Well, we hope you uh, we hope you think so. We're going to talk mostly about the top ten, but we've got 25, uh, which you you can find on, uh, on MedWolf.com if you want to check that out. We'd love to have you do that, but we'll just run down right now from 25. Up until 10, and then we'll start talking about the 10. So at 25, we have a a, a great sci-fi movie. It was so much fun, called The Vast of
1: Night. And then at 24, one of many great documentaries this year, this one, Boys State.
0: Yes, and uh, at number 23, Jim Cummings, The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Funny, but also horrific. Werewolves loved it.
1: Yeah, it was great. And just to get a couple of extra wolves in here, number 22 is my, you know, one of my favorite animated movies of the year called Wolfwalkers. Yeah, I think...
0: Overall, this was sort of a down year for animated mm-hmm. films. There is one other one upcoming, way high in our <laughs> in our uh, countdown here. But Wolf Walkers was great. It's by the same uh, filmmakers that brought you um, Secret of the Kells yeah. and Song, of the, Song sea. of the Sea. So just this yeah, is a,
1: just beautiful Irish animated film, glorious yeah. and a good one for
0: the family. Yeah, very definitely. Good. Uh, at number twenty one is another great documentary called Capital in the Twenty First Century. This is so informative; you should get college credits for it.
1: And then at number 20, this is a movie I almost guarantee you haven't seen, and I really, really hope you give it a try, and it's called Senior Love Triangle.
0: Yes, it was very, very sweet. At number 19, one of our horror flicks that we loved this year called Swallow, starring Hayley Bennett.
1: And at number 18, another horror film we love called Possessor.
0: Yeah, matter of fact, we do another countdown. Right now, our latest other podcast called Fright Club. We have got our top horror films of the year. And spoiler alert, those two movies are on it. So uh, you can find that now, uh, Fright Club uh, Podcast, at madwolf.com. Uh, where are we at? Number 17. Oh, this is one that you loved early on called Sound of Metal.
1: So good. I hope Riz Med gets uh, some notice come Oscar time. I
0: think he will. I think he definitely will. Uh, number 16, one of the best ensembles. Of the year. Such a great cast, the adaptation of a great book called The Devil All the Time.
1: Number 15, Charlie Kaufman comes back, one of my absolute all time favorite filmmakers with I'm thinking of ending things.
0: Number 14, Tom Hanks. You may have heard of him. His, <laughs> his latest, uh, reuniting with Paul Greengrass, a really gentle, emotional story called News of the World, and it's a Western.
1: At number 13, Trial of the Chicago 7s, talk about a great ensemble.
0: Yeah, Aaron Sorkin uh, write, r- wrote and directed that one. Another documentary at number 12, it's called Collective.
1: And number 11, and this is another one, this is one that we almost we almost this and put it into the top ten. God, I loved this movie. Promising Young Woman.
0: Yes, Carrie Mulligan, a fantastic performance, and this is one that will spark many, many conversations and many of those conversations are needed. Yeah. And uh, it is darkly funny it's as well. It's so funny. Although it, it covers a very, very serious topic. And, and, it,
1: and it ends with a bit of a gut punch. So oh, yeah. But there's some comedy in there.
0: Yeah, and that is Promising Young Woman at number 11. All right, so let's get to that top 10. At number 10 is a famous horror writer finding inspiration for her next book after she and her husband take in a young couple. This is Shirley.
1: Well, you were invited to stay here for a few days. <laughs> until we can find a place. Shirley has these bouts. She's gone sick in the head.
0: I read your story. What are you
1: doing here? It made me feel thrillingly horrible. Do you know what it's like to have a secret? What are you up to? What becomes of your dear heroine? What happens to all lost girls?
0: And the Shirley here is famous horror writer Shirley Jackson, although this is Fiction Lies. It's based on a novel uh, by Susan Scarf Merrill and uh, the adaptation of the screenplay is Sarah Gubbins. But the director is Josephine Decker, who actually we've been a fan of for a while, got to meet a few years ago. Right. And uh, this is a really fully realized version of a famous writer and her husband and their dynamics (laughs) in their marriage that worked themselves out in her work.
1: It's Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth F. Moss. My <laughs> God, she's having a great year. She's having a great career. She yeah. is so magnificent in this role of Shirley Jackson. But you can't. I mean, she has such a great sparring partner in Michael Stuhlbarg, who, again, is always, always good. And he plays her husband. She's working out a novel in her head. And it's the the storyline in her head is being populated by these people who are living in her house. So there's a little bit of a back and forth: what's real, what's not real. Which you know is is really a great landscape for this filmmaker. She does a great job with that kind of storytelling. But it is grounded in these two performances: uh, Sulberg and Moss. They are so great. Really,
0: if the rest of the movie didn't work, it'd be worth it just to see those two. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember thinking we talked about this at the time. It reminded us of two great athletes. You know, you always see it in basketball, the the, the stars wanting to team up and play with somebody just as good as they are. You almost get the feeling that's what this is. When they got together, they thought, oh, okay, all right, let's go. Let's go then. It's such a treat to see the two of them together. And then the the young couple that they bring into the house, uh, Odessa Young and Logan Lerman, are good as well. Uh, They really are. But really, it's these two, Elizabeth Moss and, and Michael Stuhlbarg. So I hope you're right. I hope she does get... Uh, an Oscar nomination here because she's had a great year and even though Invisible Man is not on our list here, we did like it. We enjoyed it very much.
1: Especially her performance. Exactly,
0: exactly. But Shirley is number 10 for the year on our list, 2020. (laughs) Moving up to number 9, this is one of two movies in the top 10 that has not been released yet. It's a fictional account of One Incredible Night where icons Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown gathered discussing their roles in the civil rights movement and cultural upheaval of the 1960s, One Night in Miami.
1: I was made in America, land of the free, home of the brave. This movement
0: that we are in is called a struggle because we are fighting for our lives. To America. This ain't about civil rights. To America. They ain't giving black people what they really want.
1: What's that? Hey, I was made in America. That's why I'm now here saving oh! America. Power, black power. I like the sound of that. I wish I lived in America. We have to be there for each other. Uh, heard everybody rich. All I gotta do is run, jump, kick. i am a in your area. Uh, I done made it to America. Uh, I'm amazed that uh, America. To America. Regina King has finally taken home a well-deserved Oscar for acting, and mm-hmm. now she's eyeing a uh, an Oscar for directing. Yeah, she
0: has really in the conversation. I didn't realize she'd been directing for a while, mostly TV.
1: Yeah, a documentary, yeah. and then
0: a lot of TV. But boy, she handles this so well, and it's an adaptation of a play by Kemp Powers, who also does the screenplay, and he is having a great year. You ain't kidding. He's involved in another movie that we'll talk about here a little farther up the list, but uh, it's fascinating, and it, it's one of those... That you you can tell that it had its its origins as a play, but yet the film version, both Powers and Regina King, are able to transcend that. Because even though a lot of this takes place in one room, Mm -hmm. the one hotel room, Mm -hmm.
1: to me it was always in motion constantly in motion. Oh, yeah. No, I, I agree with you. And part of it was the uh, the performances because uh, one of the four characters is Cassius Clay because he has not quite yet changed his name. And that performance is so full of energy, so vibrant and, it, and explosive. And, and I think that it is Contagious. You can see the other characters absorb that.
0: Yeah, Eli Gorey is uh, plays Cassius Clay, and it is. It's a great performance. That's not quite an impersonation because Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay at the time, he, you know, he's such a big personality, yeah, yeah. and he had such s- such mannerisms that that could be uh, impersonated. Mm-hmm. So, but it doesn't seem like it an doesn't. outright caricature or anything. And this is this is set on the night that he had just beaten Sonny Liston for the heavyweight title, and so. Ah, uh, his friends, Jim Brown, played by Aldus Hodge, who's great.
1: That's that. That's the real. That's yeah. the really gem of the performances, yeah, right there. Yeah, I,
0: I could, expect a possible, hopefully, some, uh, some awards uh, consideration for, for him. Uh, and then uh, Sam Cook, played by Leslie Odom Jr. from Hamilton, and he's great as well. He is so good. They both think they're going to party uh, after the after the win by their friend, but uh, they get there, and uh, Cassius Clay's mentor. Malcolm X has other plans and they what begins a very frank discussion about their struggle with civil rights and each man's role in it, right. which is very different for each man. Not only the, their expectations—Malcolm X's expectations—so they challenge each other for the rest of the film, and they challenge the audience as well. And I, it's it's really, really well done. Again, it's not out quite yet. I think it comes out in mid-January.
1: Yeah, it'll be it'll be streaming uh, January fifteenth. You can see it in some f- big cities uh, thi- theatrically right now.
0: Yeah, so uh, definitely worth it once it gets to your area or to your home streaming One Night in Miami, and that comes in at number nine. Next up, it's a pair of teenage girls in rural Pennsylvania traveling to New York City to seek out medical help after an unintended pregnancy. It's called Never Rarely, Sometimes Always.
1: This is the most magical sound you will ever hear. I'm just not ready to be a mom. Where else could you go? Nowhere in Pennsylvania. I think you should try another place. But you're just 17, so much like me. Don't you ever just wish you were a dude? All the time.
0: 17. You ready? This is from writer-director Eliza Hitman, who really first got on the radar. Her first film a few years ago was called It Felt Like Love, mm-hmm. which was very good just not not quite there yet mm-hmm. and then she followed it up with beach rats also very good yeah really good yeah and now this now she's fully in command yeah. of, of her vision she she speaks softly but she speaks in intimate details and boy just lands lands it so hard especially when she's again like it felt like love was returning to the coming of age story which is so often done in such a shallow formulaic nature and boy that's not her way at all and she benefits from an incredible debut performance by sydney flanagan she's she's just tremendous here and that focuses of the story focuses on friendship female friendship and female marginalization Yeah. And just not not just in this unintended pregnancy because that's the big thing but just in every bit of daily life it just comes in waves and waves that these girls have to have to navigate as they travel from one state to the other to take advantage of different states' laws. Uh, and You can probably get where I'm going there without spoiling too much. But it's, it's, it's a great vision. It's a fantastic performance, especially, and I know I'm not the first one to point this out, the scene where the movie gets its title.
1: Yeah, absolutely, my she, God. Uh, the,
0: the camera never takes focus off of Sidney Flanagan's face and she does not flinch it one is, bit.
1: It, it should be studied in terms of direction, writing, and performance.
0: Yeah. And uh, three films in now, Eliza Hitman for sure, someone to keep on your radar. It's a very serious subject here. But you know, one of the beautiful things about this is that as serious of a topic as it is, it's rated PG-13, which is great. Yes. Because it means... Because
1: teenagers ought to see it.
0: Exactly. And can talk about it with their parents. Yeah. You know, it's that was really great to and see. And not just girls. Right. Exactly Right, exactly right. And that is number eight on our list. Never rarely, sometimes always. Number seven on our list this year sees 1930s Hollywood reevaluated through the eyes of scathing social critic and alcoholic screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz as he races to finish the screenplay of Citizen Kane. It's Mank. I hear you're hunting dangerous game. God bless William Randolph Hearst.
1: Ready and willing to hunt the great white whale?
0: Just call me Ahab. Do come in. At this rate,
1: you will never finish. You said
0: 90 days. Well said 60. I'm doing the best I can. Who do you think you are?
1: You're nothing but a court jester. What I want to know is what you think of it. It's a bit of a jumble, the collection of fragments that leap around in time like Mexican jumping beans. Welcome to my mind, old sock. You pick a fight with Willie. you are finished. Mayor can't save you? Nobody can, especially the boy genius from New York. Why Hurst? Outside his own blonde Betty Boop, you're always his favorite dinner partner. Are you familiar with the parable of the organ grinder's monkey?
0: (laughs) This is the latest from director David Fincher, and he's working from a script from his late father, Jack Fincher, and from what... We understand it was just polished up a little bit by David Fincher and uh, maybe one or two other writers. But mainly, the, the bulk of the script here is from his late father, which is really great.
1: It is. And you know what? It, the, the the script itself is such a tribute to screenwriting and to the act of yeah. writing and to the written word. Uh, you pointed out in your review of it that um, that the dialogue among the characters... Doesn't feel like natural conversation at all. It, it's very pithy. It's very polished. It feels like a screenplay, right. but in a but in a very self conscious and interesting way.
0: Yeah, it's such a tribute to the written word, uh, which is great because the way it plays out, they, they also find a way to make the movie very interesting visually. Not only do you see script directions and things like that typed out on the screen. Mm-hmm. But the cinematography is fantastic. It's black and white. It's very, very old Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Everything is such an homage. The The performances, especially the lead uh, playing Mank is Gary Oldman. Just just beautiful. I think a, an Oscar nomination is probably assured. Yeah. The entire ensemble, most specifically Amanda Seyfried, oh, so good. is great. You're going to see a lot of faces that you recognize. You might not know the names. Mm-hmm. But the ensemble is fantastic, as it tells a story that is is slightly fictionalized. Because I think even today there's still some debate about how much of the script for Citizen Kane was written by Mank and how much was written by Orson Welles. A lot of people, will film historians, will will argue about that. Well,
1: and if you look it up, I mean, there are two other people who get a credit for right. writing. So, but the but per this film, it's basically Mank. Exactly, and how he sort of used that, even though he's
0: a flawed character because he's an alcoholic, he's a gambler, he's a quote-unquote court jester. But at the same time, he uses this script he's working on. you see him slowly realize the power structure around him is something that needs taken down. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, if you know Citizen Kane, is based on William Randolph Hearst. This shows you how he came to center... His knives of that script on William Randolph Hearst and how uh, unsettling that was for his social crowd. Yeah. At the time, but it's a. I can understand. I, I did see some other reviews and some and some people didn't. They just didn't quite get the the style here. And and I and I get that or care because, for it or care for it because if it's not a style that works for you, then you're going to be annoyed by this movie. Yeah. I totally just fell into it. I mean, it it enveloped me, I thought. I thought the whole vibe of the uh, visuals and, most importantly, the wordplay.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, I think it does help if you're a fan of Citizen Kane. It does, yeah. uh, As clearly Fincher is. (laughs) Uh, And we are both fans of that film. And so, yeah, I thought it was absolutely fascinating.
0: And this one you can find on Netflix. Mank at number seven. At number six, it's four African-American vets battling the forces of man and nature when they return to Vietnam, seeking the remains of their fallen squad leader and the gold fortune he helped them hide its defy bloods.
1: Black G.I., is it fair
0: to serve more than the white Americans that sent you here? Nothing is more confused than to be ordered into a war to die without the faintest idea of what's going on. I dedicate this next record to the soul brothers of the 1st Infantry Divisions. Be safe.
1: On the surface, this is a heist movie, which is always fun, right? That's always fraught with danger and peril, and they very are. interesting <laughs> and crisscrossing, you know. And but it's uh, it's it's a lot more than that because it's a Spike Lee joint, and um, and I think that again, on the surface, he takes advantage of those expectations because he weaves in a lot of homages to other heist movies and in particular this type you're going to another country like mm-hmm. big international espionage laced heist movies but he's telling a much more riveting story the same story basically that he has been telling for his entire career but the performance that he gets out of Delroy Lindo alone is yeah. reason to see this movie yeah
0: it's a fantastic ensemble Delroy Lindo uh, Clark Peters who's worked with Spike Lee on numerous occasions Jonathan Majors Isaiah Whitlock Jr. Of course, Chadwick Boseman has a smaller part here. And think about Spike Lee. Not only, you look about, think about how great of a career he's had over the many years, but over the last, what do you think, five or so? My my. Lord. He is just turning out some fantastic pieces of work. Even earlier this year, yeah. he also did the a documentary, one of the best documentaries of the year, David Burns' American Utopia. So great. See that if Yo, you, if you have it. HBO. But Spike Lee is just on the top of his game. Yes, he is. He absolutely over the last is. few years. I'll tell you what, and this is this is right there. You yeah, have the ensemble, one of the best ensembles of the year. And he finds a way, much as he did, well, like you say, much as he's been doing... Uh, for most of his career, but even more so in the last few, of tying history to the present. Yeah, it was done so beautifully in Black Klansman. Oh my God, so beautifully. Yeah, and he continues that here. He uses this, you know, Vietnam veterans returning to Vietnam, but he he weaves it the past to the present and bridges it in a in a, in a great way again with this movie.
1: Yeah, and everything about it, the way it's handled. I love the way flashbacks are handled uh, because the main actors, they don't replace them with younger versions, they don't color their hair, they right. don't de-age them, because what they're doing is these men, who are now in their 60s, they're remembering this. It's it's in their memories. It's not really happening. We're not seeing what really happened. We're seeing how they remember it, and it was such a brilliant way to handle that.
0: Yeah, and it reinforces the fact that those events are still affecting them today, exactly. the way that they are remembering them. So yeah, just another tremendous effort from Spike Lee and his tremendous ensemble at number six for the year. On our list, that is the five bloods. At number five, another movie you can look forward to in the coming weeks. After losing everything in the Great Recession, a woman embarks on a journey through the American West, living as a van dwelling modern day nomad. It's Nomadland.
1: What the nomads are doing is not that different than what the pioneers did. Hey, Fern. You gotta make the hole bigger. In the I think Fern's part of an American tradition. Oh! He's gonna come right through the glass. My dad used to say, What's remembered? Lives, I maybe spent too much of my life just remembering.
0: One of the things I love most about this life is that there's no final goodbye. I've met hundreds of people out here, and I don't ever say a final goodbye. Let's just say I'll, I'll see you down the road. And I can be certain in my heart. I'll see you again.
1: Chloe Zhao. This is this is such a great movie, and she is such a great filmmaker. Uh, two years ago, she made *The Rider*, and mm-hmm. this is and they, and they they have a lot in common. She has a tremendous sense of poetry concerning the American West, and *The Rider* is about cowboys. It is a cowboy story, only it's borderline nonfiction because we're dealing with actual cowboys, and what that means is we are de- dealing with actual American poverty, abject American poverty, and that's really. Although the movie is beautiful, it's absolutely beautiful. Nomadland is very similar. What we're really watching is a story of a 60-something woman who has lost everything and now lives in her van. And yet, it's a beautiful film. It's poetic. It's uplifting. It never feels sorry for itself. It's completely empowering. And a part of the reason that it works as well as it does is because Frances McDormand is at the center.
0: Oh yeah, she's a star. She's also one of the producers. And Chloe Zhao also um, adapted the screenplay. It's an adapted from a book. But Frances McDormand, she just... She just absorbs into the cast of "quote unquote" normal people, non-actors. Yeah. She seems so incredibly authentic in this crowd of of nomads, right. travelers, yeah. and that's how they live. And she doesn't seem any different from any of them. And it's incredibly authentic and and touching and, and heart wrenching. And ultimately, somehow, in the middle of this, hopeful.
1: Very. And you're right about McDormand. I think one of the things about her it, across her entire career is that she just lacks artifice. You know, she never feels like she's acting, and certainly here she doesn't.
0: Yeah, this is one that is scheduled for release February 19th, so still got a few weeks to wait for this on a wide release, but it was released just in time to be eligible for this year's awards, and I definitely think you'll see some. I'd be I'd be shocked if Frances McDormand didn't get nominated here, and I guess as a producer, she could also be nominated in the Best Picture category as well, so I don't know when the last time that has happened. So uh, definitely put that on your radar for 2021. It's number five on our list, and it's Nomadland. (laughs) Number four takes us to Chicago, 1927, a recording session. Tensions rise between Ma Rainey, her ambitious horn player, and the white management determined to control the uncontrollable Mother of the Blues. It's based on the Pulitzer Prize-winning August Wilson play, it's Ma Rainey's Black Bottom.
1: Records are going to be hits. To me. Every coming man in the world got to do his part. I'm gonna tell the white man just what he can do. They don't care nothing about me. All they want is my voice. About them songs I give you. They're not the right songs. I do will take them off your hands for you. I got my time coming to me. Hey! You don't know nothing about what kind of blood I got, what kind of heart I got be here. Come
0: on! Here's another movie that's driven mainly by two incredible performances, but the whole ensemble, while it's not that big, is so stellar, Mm -hmm. and it's another adaptation of a play that you can see the roots on stage, but then, and the director here is George C. Wolfe, no relation, (laughs) uh, is able to transcend it and ride these incredible performances to speak again to bridge the past and the present by uh, commenting on as august wilson has did in fences and his other plays as well commenting on the black experience in america
1: yeah as you pointed out in your in your written review the, the separation the physical separation speaks volumes in this film you've got the you got the guys who are in the band who are not making anybody any money they're down in the basement rehearsing uh, you got ma who is making money for everybody and so she asserts her control because she's wise enough to know what she is in control of she's upstairs and then in the sound booth in the in the control room are the two white guys mm-hmm. who are trying to make the most of the situation and then get
0: them out of exactly.
1: there exactly and it's so just the just the spatial separation speaks volumes. And it's like you said, I mean, it's a play. And yet here he's able to to use to, the cinema mm-hmm. to create an amazing sort of framework for this film. And Ma Rainey, speaking of amazing, is played by Viola F. Davis. Viola F. Davis. She
0: is so great. And in such a bittersweet final performance, Chadwick Bozeman, he plays the horn player Levy, who really, his arc is what drives this film. It's yeah, what but- happens to his character, and it just shows you how—I know it's easy to say, since we lost him, to, to say how how talented he was. But this movie just reminds you how incredibly talented he was. Because I don't think it's—it's it's not just being sentimental to say this is his best performance.
1: Yeah, I don't—I mean, you know, it's better source material than anything he's ever had. Even though he's made some great movies, right? And been but been great I mean, in them, And yeah. been great in them. But the material he has to work with with this— Gives him the chance to really show everything he could do as an actor. And it is a breathtaking performance.
0: And the rest of the band, played by Coleman Domingo, who you'd you know his face. Yeah. And he's always good. Veteran Glenn Terman. So good. Is, is great as well. So good to see him. And uh, Michael Potts uh, is in the band as well. So the entire ensemble is great. But boy, just to see Viola Davis and Chadwick Bozeman, because they're very adversarial characters and adversarial performances. And they're fantastic. Well,
1: one thing that one of the things that's interesting is not only are they adversaries to each other, both of them are adversarial toward everybody. And yep. it's a very interesting it's a very interesting point they're making this young upstart yep. and 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 he says eventually even though she's kind of his nemesis he says eventually I'm going to be like ma. Mm-hmm. And then of course her adversarial stance, she makes it clear right away the reason for that, the reason behind that. And and like you said Viola Davis, oh my god. There are so few people in the history of film as as talented as Viola Davis and the way she can just wear uh, a character's entire history on her face yeah. on her ex- the way she expresses her face she's so perfect
0: so true and here it's specifically commenting on black art black artists and how they have been exploited and and often outright stolen from oh, sure. and appropriated throughout the decades and it's so well, I'll uh, tell
1: you what there's a song I'll never be able to listen to again because <laughs> of this movie yeah.
0: yeah oh that's so true uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom incredible and it is on Netflix and it is number four on our list best of the year at number three, the latest from Pixar. A musician who has lost his passion for music is transported out of his body and must find his way back with the help of an infant soul learning about herself. It is soul.
1: Is this heaven? No, it's the great
0: before. This is where new souls get their personalities, quirks, and interests before they go to Earth. Meet 22. I don't want to go to Earth. Stop fighting
1: this. I don't want to. Uh. <laughs> living really worth dying
0: for you're still alive can you help me get back
1: no way there i am what are we waiting can for to wait not me ah!
0: well we talked uh, we mentioned kemp powers back with one night in miami here he's not only the co-writer he's the co-director mm-hmm. so having a great year and he teams up uh, with longtime Pixar veteran Pete Doctor for we, we lo- we've mentioned it many times how much we love Pixar. It's sort of a, a catch twenty two with Pixar because they have set such an impossible standard for their own movies. Yeah, every Pixar movie is not only judged uh, uh, against other movies, other animated movies, but specifically other Pixar movies yeah. because they're always so good. And this one works in a different way. It's It's such a simplistic message when you get to the very end. In fact, more simplistic than you think it's going to be. But it might be their most profound. It's one that I know both of us just kept thinking about days later.
1: Oh, absolutely. There's so much about this movie to, to recommend. And and uh, one of the first things that will strike you is the absolutely glorious and completely different animated styles yeah. they have for sort of the two realms that the movie takes place in. The the animation in this movie is just mind-blowing. It is so beautiful and so appropriate to the the part of the story that's being yeah.
0: told. Yeah, it's so great because you've got the... The uh, life, the daily life of our hero Joe, voiced by Jamie Fox, is animated in one way, and then when he is in the other worlds, it's very Picasso. It's yeah. very It's very cubist. Yeah. Sometimes, and um, and that is when he meets up with the wandering soul named Twenty Two, voiced by Tina Fey. Those two are great together. They're so great. Great voice actors. The whole uh, cast is full of some great voice actors as well. Great ensemble but it has some craziness, some nuttiness. I mean the the story turns it takes to get to that end
1: get nutty. Yeah, they really do. And I love the writing. I love the writing. I love the detail. You know, uh, you know Quiet Coyote, Quiet <laughs> yeah. Coyote. Yeah. Like I love all of the detail and flourish in this movie. It's mellow, Mm. I think, for a Pixar film. Yeah, Uh, It throws a lot at you, but it's not doing it quickly. It's giving you a minute to catch up. And and you said in the end, I thought about this movie for
0: days. It takes that. For me, it took that. If you remember the character Bing Bong from Inside Out, Mm -hmm. another Pixar movie that we loved. The existential element of Bing Bong, it, this movie expands on it. And it's it's incredibly deep. It really it, is. It really is. It, to, to get to its simplistic message at the end. But it really is existential and, and deep and just beautiful in all ways, both uh, internally and externally.
1: But I think it's important to say, because people have asked us this, you know, it's, it's not one that your kids are not going to enjoy. Like we keep talking about it's deep, existential, profound. The kids are going to enjoy yes. it. Yeah. You know, because the message is not overly complicated and because it's not particularly scary. The film is not scary, and it's very funny. It is. And beautiful. Yeah, your kids will like it, too.
0: Yeah, just fantastic. Soul, number three. At number two, a documentary, Fox Rich, fighting for the release of her husband, Rob, who is serving a 60-year sentence in prison. This is called Time.
1: My twins will be 18 next month. They have absolutely no idea what it means to have a father in their house, What fathers even do
0: Did you get any word from over at the big house no, no, today? Nothing yet? Nothing yet? No. OK. You got a chance to call today? I have not. No? OK. Success is the best revenge. You're going to show them that they can't treat human life this way. Success is the best revenge.
1: Just hang in there, because when you get them home, they're going to pay. They're going to pay. They're going to pay. I knew that if it was going to be, it was going to be totally up to me.
0: Well, I can't remember a movie that I was dreading watching as much as this one uh, turned me around so much that I was so happy I watched it. I was so happy it it existed because I knew it was the story of a wife dealing with the impossibly harsh prison sentence of her husband and trying to work for his release. And those movies can be very effective, but they can also just make you very sad about humanity.
1: Yeah, you, you know, sometimes you just have to sort of Get yourself emotionally prepared right. for certain documentaries, and, and sometimes you think you know going into it, but the truth is, this movie is so uplifting, it's so vibrant, it's so beautiful, that you'll be sorry if you don't see it.
0: Yeah, it's it's a miracle on how they, they have taken this story and turned it into something so life-affirming. It's uh, director Garrett Bradley, and she started out, this was supposed to be a short film, and a bookend to another movie that she made, just dealing with the effects of incarceration on families, mm-hmm. not, not the one incarcerated, mm-hmm. but on families. But as she started to sift through the home movies made by Fox Rich as she fought to get her husband Rob out of jail, she just couldn't deny the story that came out of it. And the direction is great. Also, a nod to the editor here, Absolutely. Gabe Rhodes. The way these are edited together, it's, it's just insane. You cannot believe the perseverance, the patience of this woman. How she kept on it, kept trying to fight through this system, and at the same time raise her children to be such, by the time we see them as they're grown, to be such accomplished, dignified, intelligent souls, having to go through what this family went through, and never looking at their father and her husband's release as anything more than a day that will come. That will come, and it's just, and the ending, I don't even want to go anywhere that might spoil it for you. The ending is beautiful, just just beautiful, and if if you don't tear up, you want to check your pulse on that, but (laughs) it's, it's just a fantastic, beautiful, beautiful movie. It's available on Prime Video, and it is called Time, our number two movie of the year. And at number one this year, the story of a skilled cook. Traveling west and joining a group of fur trappers in Oregon, though he only finds true connection with a Chinese immigrant also seeking his fortune, soon the two collaborate on a successful business. This is called First Cow. You have a cow. First cow in the territory. It's
1: a place for cows. It's no place for white men either. I sense some opportunity here. Good Lord, give me another. I'll give you six ingots for that last one. I taste London in
0: this game. We have to take what we can when the taking is good. Seems dangerous.
1: So is anything worth doing? You said this earlier, and it's so true. You know, Soul could have been number one. Time could have been number one. First Cow winds up at number one, but the three, all three of these movies, they're just absolutely beautiful. And I, lo- I expected to like First Cow. I'm a be- very big fan of the filmmakers, but I, I just can't tell you how much I loved it.
0: It's so quiet and so unassuming in, in the way it speaks. It's director Kelly Reichert, who we've been a fan of for a while, and uh, she is working with her long, her longtime uh, co-collaborator, Jonathan Raymond, who's actually, it's based on his novel, mm-hmm. novel of his called The Half-Life. And just as it goes along, it's, you think it's
1: meandering, but it's really not. No, it's not. I know, that's such a lyrical style that she yeah. has in everything that she does. You know, one of the things I love about it is that it takes... Honestly, it's a genre you're sort of familiar with, and it just takes it from a very different point of view, because it's a Western, it is, they're they're mm-hmm. they're in the Oregon Territory, and they're trying to stake a claim. It's about uh, the Cookie, he's, he's a fur trader, he's a fur trapper, so if you've seen The Revenant, and we have, <laughs> you know right away, this is not the job for you, Cookie. He's a very gentle soul, a very gentle soul, and what you come to find is that he's from Philadelphia originally, where he studied under some great... Bakers, and that's what he wants to be is a baker. But he's come to the Oregon Territory, and it's like, it's just you know, you want so badly for this gentle soul to find some tenderness, and right. you're so afraid he's not going to survive. And then he falls into a friendship with uh, an immigrant who is uh, an entrepreneur and looking to strike it rich, which is a kind of a uh, spirited human that you expect to find, right, out here sort of making his way across the Oregon Territory. And the, the friendship between these two is just beautiful. Yeah. It's
0: so beautiful. Yeah, Cookie is John Magaro. And his unlikely friend, King Lu, is played by Orion Lee. And they are both great. There's a fantastic supporting performance by the always great Toby Jones. So
1: great, so great, so great. Who
0: actually, he's the guy that owns the cow.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so so that's where things come into play. Uh, uh, King Lu realizes that they could make some money selling baked goods if only they had access to some dairy. So they start stealing the milk from the only cow in the entire territory who belongs to Toby Jones. So that's where the hijinks begin. And it does. I mean, it kicks off into a very a tense storyline mm-hmm. that had me, like, had my stomach clenched. Well, that's, because you love these characters so dearly. That's the thing, because as
0: unassuming as this movie is, there are very high stakes. Yes. And the stakes are very well defined. And it's also about this unlikely friendship. And, and these two men and how they drift together and maybe apart a little bit and then back together. And it's just fascinating. It is. It's, it's just it's, a fascinating piece of, of filmmaking.
1: She has such an incredible way of telling a story, and this might be her very best film, and that's that's saying a lot.
0: Yeah, and this is available now on uh, both Showtime and Prime Video channels. Our number one, although, as we said, we could make a case for a lot of these at number one. uh, We found some definite bright spots in a bad, bad year, and we found them at the movies, as always. And so we look forward to the next year and hopefully getting back to theaters on a regular basis. Because one of the things that was evident in so many of these movies, as good as they were, is how much I wanted to see them on the big screen.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, First Cow is such a beautiful film. And I really was sorry soul. that I wasn't. See- oh, my God. You know, so I, want, that to I want to see it, that on a big yeah, screen.
0: They, there's so many. So we really hope this is the year we can get back soon for uh, our own mental soon health and safely. Yes. Uh, for our own mental health and for the businesses the theaters and the venues that uh, need to get back to business. So we certainly hope so. But we want to end 2020 on a good note at the movies. Let us know what you thought about any of these or any that we missed. Keep the conversation going. We always love to do that on our Twitter page, and you can find us at Mad Wolf. That's M A D D W O L F on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus. Or over on our main website, you can find all of our written reviews and our written uh, lists. And also, if you want to do another list, how about a list of the best horror movies of 2020? We've got that on our brand new. Other podcast called Fright Club, which is out now, and you can find that all at MadWolf.com.
1: Speaking of lists, you can also find a list of the very best films you almost certainly didn't see this year. So that's another good one to check out. That's always a fun list. A lot of
0: uh, movies, this year especially, movies that slipped through the cracks, maybe you didn't hear about, uh, that are so worth checking out in 2021. And not only that, but you did some extra work, and... For each of those movies on the uh, blog, you list where you can find them. Yes. So that's awful helpful. So good work <laughs> out of you. Uh, we always like to hear from you. Thanks again so much for uh, listening all this year. And uh, hopefully we'll continue to get together in the new year. Enjoy it. Be well. We'll talk again in 2021. Until next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Screening Room Podcast. Happy New Year. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend. Bye. <laughs>